Amen and amen. We want the glory of the Lord to come and fill this place. Uh, Pastor Bart, thank you for being here. And uh, thank you for reading from God's Word. What a treat this morning. We didn't know that that was coming. And so until uh, right before the service uh, started and I got the text, I was so excited you were going to be here. Thank you. Um, you can begin making your way to John chapter 3. That'll be our starting place today, John chapter 3. Have you ever seen one of these time-lapse videos? The video that we're about to watch, uh, maybe two minutes. I hate that it's two minutes, but um, the video that we're going to watch will show you in super fast motion the work that is done behind the scenes to convert. I think the one we're going to show you is converting from a baseball field to a football field at the same venue in a very short amount of time. Sometimes these in these cities, they have to turn uh, a baseball field to a football field in a very short amount of time in order to have both events. And so uh, watch with me this uh, little video of a time lapse. some sound with that video. I apologize for that. Um, well, that gave you just a, an idea. Um, when people go to those ball games, you, it just doesn't, all that stuff's just not there. You know, there's people that have to do the work behind the scenes, and that's really what I wanted to try to emphasize today. Over the past three weeks, we've been studying about the Holy Spirit, who He is and what He does. And we've noticed that the Holy Spirit is everywhere throughout the Bible. Think with me. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, we see the Holy Spirit. He's hovering over the surface of the deep. So He's right there in creation. In Judges chapter 14 and verse 6, we read, The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson as he tears a lion apart with his bare hands. And so we see the Spirit of the Lord giving Samson his 
supernatural strength there. Our Scripture memory uh, theme verse for this study has been 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, which says, The Spirit of the Lord took control of David from that day forward. And so we see the Spirit of God was active in the life of David. We fast forward to the uh, New Testament. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16, you'll remember Jesus was baptized and He saw the Spirit of God descending upon Him like a dove. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says that then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, capital S Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit was guiding, was leading Jesus even into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, the disciples, after praying uh, those days right before Pentecost, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in, diff- in different language, languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability for speech. And so we find the Spirit of God everywhere throughout the Bible. So just like in this time-lapse video, from the beginning of time until the end, the Holy Spirit is actively fulfilling His role as the third member of the Trinity. Today I'd like for us to take note of what the Holy Spirit is and has been doing behind the scenes in making our salvation a reality. Just like this time-lapse video, most people don't realize what goes on between uh, the events in order to get uh, a baseball field converted to a football field. Most people really don't take time to stop and think about what all the Holy Spirit does in the work of our salvation and in the uh, behind the scenes to make our relationship with God an actuality. Now, First of all, we must realize this, that if God did not desire to save individuals, none of us would be saved. For by grace have we been saved. So the first thing we have to do is we have to thank God for His amazing grace. Thank God for His amazing grace. But now, without Christ and His life of perfect obedience, even obedience to the point of death, even the death of a cross, uh, Philippians will say, without Christ, our salvation would not even be possible. So you understand that. First of all, if God did not desire to save individuals, none of us would be saved. But without the work of Christ, without His perfect life of obedience, and then His willing sacrifice on the cross, Our salvation would not even be possible. But most people don't realize that apart from the Holy Spirit's work, your salvation could not be actualized. It's possible through the blood of Jesus. It's by the grace of God. But your salvation would not be actualized if it weren't for the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So now, let's turn our attention to the work that the Holy Spirit does in our salvation. For apart from His work and ministry in our life, you cannot be saved. Listen to this quote by John MacArthur from his book, Strange Fire. 
John MacArthur writes, The Holy Spirit creates spiritual life, regenerating sinners through the gospel and transforming them into the children of God. The same source of explosive power that brought the world into existence out of nothing is today at work in the hearts and the lives of the redeemed. And just as creation was an astonishing miracle, so is every new creation. As the Spirit supernaturally brings salvation to those who would have otherwise been condemned to eternal ruin. People who want to see miracles today should stop following fake healers and start engaging in biblical evangelism. To see a spiritually dead sinner made alive in Christ Jesus by the power of the Spirit is to witness an actual miracle of God. Boy, John MacArthur packs a lot of truth into that quote, doesn't he? So let's start with the truth that we learn about ourselves from the Word of God. Some of the most neglected Scripture verses in all of God's Word comes right at the heels of the most popular verse in all of God's Word for all time. What's the most popular verse? John three sixteen. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. You know, a lot of people stop there because, man, that's a, that's a great verse. Let's stop right there. It's great. But they forget to read the rest of the verses in John chapter 3 that follow verses 17 through 21. I know Brother Bart read them, but let's read them one more time together. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This, then, is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So what do we learn from this scripture about ourselves? Let me share this. Number one. Until we believe in Christ, the Bible says that we are condemned already. Don't miss that. We're already condemned until we believe in Jesus Christ. In other words, we are not born right with God. No one is born right with God. We are not in His family until we are adopted into it by faith. you got the whole adoption language in God's Word. We're adopted into the family of God. We're not a part of the family of God by birth. We're adopted into the family of God. So number one, until we believe in Christ, we're condemned already. Number two, 
What do we learn about ourselves? The Bible says this, this Jesus speaking. This is red letters, folks. He says, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. So light came into the world, speaking of Jesus' incarnation and speaking about His first coming to earth. But as men and as women and as boys and as girls, as humanity, humanity loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because when you're, you have wicked deeds, you're a sinner, no... Darkness does not like the light. It avoids the light because it doesn't want to have it exposed. And so we learn these two things from John chapter 3. Now, think with me back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve first sinned in disobedience to the command of God. Think back to what they did when they realized that they were naked. What did they try to do? They tried to hide themselves. Why? Because they had experienced the first guilt and shame for wrongdoing and disobedience to God. So the first thing that Adam and Eve tried to do was they tried to hide from God. What did they do next? They tried to cover themselves. I heard it. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves that they had made for themselves. And you know, this is exactly what man tries to do for himself when he instinctively knows that he is dirty and that he is rotten and that he is selfish and that he is not made whole. Man tries to cover up his own guilt and shame for sin. And he does it a number of different ways, but he tries to do it through good works and he tries to do it through religion. But we saw last week that Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 64 verse 6, that our righteousness is as filthy rags before holy God. Our righteousness, anything that we can bring to the table, is filthy rags before holy God. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 48, But be ye perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect. I don't know about you, but I stopped being perfect a long time ago. Never was. What did Adam and Eve do after that? They played on the popular game show, the blame game. Adam blamed the woman for what that God created for him. That probably didn't go over so well with Eve that night, did it? Eve turned around and she blamed the serpent for deceiving her. And she was right in her assessment of the serpent. Deceiving her. For Jesus will later say to the Pharisees, and don't miss that, He'll say to the Pharisees at the temple complex in John chapter 8, verse 44, He says to the Pharisees, You are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and he is the father of lies. So don't miss who Jesus was talking to that day. He was talking to the very religious leaders of his day.
But get this, they were refusing to believe who Jesus was. They did not believe that He was the one sent from God, sent from above. So he declares two important truths in this passage. Number one, even the religious are condemned already for not believing in Christ. It's not religion that God is looking for, but it's faith in Christ Jesus, His Son. Number two, the devil is a liar and a murderer, and he would love for nothing more than for you to believe that there's any other possible way to be saved than through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So we learn those two truths from that Scripture. The Apostle Paul will tell us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, he says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have become useless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then you know verse 23. Say it with me if you know it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 just for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2. Read with me in verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. Now, he's talking to the church at Ephesus. He's talking to believers. And this is what he says. And you were dead. Were, past tense. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the Spirit now working in the disobedient. So that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of the Antichrist. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. So, Let's recap what we've already learned about ourselves from just these brief three scriptures that we've looked at already. Ten things that I'll recap real quick. Number one, I'm condemned already until I believe in Christ Jesus. I'm condemned already. Number two, if left to myself, I would choose darkness over light because I would fear of being exposed. How many of you want your your heart exposed to other people? You know, they used to, preachers would say, how many of you would like to see your life, your thought life, up on the screen for all the world to see? Do I, do I have any takers? Anybody? The reason that we don't want that is because we don't want to be exposed. It's natural. Because we have something to hide. And so, if left to myself, I would choose darkness over light for fear of being exposed. Number three, just like Adam and Eve, 
My natural tendencies are to hide from God, to try to cover up my own sin and sense of guilt and shame while blaming others for my sinfulness and refusing to see that I am the guilty one. It's me. Number four, even if I do righteous deeds, my righteous deeds are as filthy rags before holy God. My righteousness is not enough. Number five, I'm not born right with God. I actually belong to the devil who is my father until I am adopted into the family of God by faith in Christ Jesus. But at that point, I am declared one of his children and I am an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. But until I'm adopted into my family, folks, there's no other, there's only two destinations. And so before I'm adopted into the family of God, I belong to my father, the devil. Now, that's not a pleasant thought. I don't like to hear it, but it's the truth. Number six, Romans 3 tells us that there's no one good, no, not one. No one's good. Number seven, the Bible says that there's no one who seeks God. That is, there's no one who seeks God on their own accord, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, which is what we'll talk about in just a moment. Number eight, the Bible says that we are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. Number nine, I was once dead in my trespasses and sins. Now, you have to understand the language here. You can't be physically dead and out sinning and trespassing. So what is he talking about? No, you are physically alive, but you are spiritually dead. Physically alive, created in the image of God, yes, but living in a broken world with a fallen nature as a product of the curse. Living in a broken world with a fallen nature as a product of the curse. And then number 10, Paul says that I was by nature a child of wrath. What's he saying there? By nature, my beginning, my, my starting place, by nature... I was a children under wrath. I was a child of wrath, as everyone else is and was. Why? Because we are sinners. And the wages of sin is what? Is death. But now, I want you to keep reading in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5, because that describes my condition before coming to Christ. But look at what God does. In verse 4, but God, can I get an amen? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love that He has for us, He made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. Continue reading with me in verses 8 and 9. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of your works, lest any man could boast. So we could not be saved apart from God's amazing grace. And had He not sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God sacrifice, slain from the foundation of the world. But God also uses the Holy Spirit in bringing us to faith in Him. So how does God make us alive spiritually when we are alive physically, but we're dead spiritually? We're physically alive, but we're dead in our spirits. But God makes us alive in our spirits. So how does He do that? Well, go back with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. The Bible says Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. And he's really, he's coming to Jesus in the dead of night. He doesn't want to be seen with Jesus. He doesn't want to be known. Jesus says these words, Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus was confused by this term, born again. But the term means to be born from above. In other words, God has to provide this birth. Jesus tells Nicodemus that there is a birth of the flesh that is of the body physically. And we are all products of birth of the flesh. If you're here today, live and in person, you have been born physically and Jesus tells Nicodemus there is a flesh birth, there is a birth of the flesh, there is a birth of the physical body, but there's something more than that. There is also a birth of the Spirit, which is a spiritual rebirth. And then Jesus reiterates to Nicodemus, don't be surprised that I told you that you must be born again. Not just born physically, you must be born again spiritually. You must experience the rebirth. You must be born again. Now in Titus chapter 3, verses 4-7, through 7, Paul writes to Titus and he says, But when the goodness of God and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out this Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs of the hope of eternal life. Now there's a lot there. Man, you need to just camp out right there. You just need to read that a couple of times. But that's the gospel in a nutshell. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. 
But I want you to notice a couple of important words from that passage in Titus that we just read. The first word is the word regeneration. Our Baptist faith and message defines regeneration as the new birth. It is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It is a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through the conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. Repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. You can find that in our Baptist faith and message. Regeneration is defined as the new birth. And included in it is repentance and faith. And our Baptist uh, fathers believe, the ones that wrote the Baptist faith and message, believe that repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, all things have become new. So just like the miracle of creation, when God spoke or God breathed everything into existence, God uses the Holy Spirit to awaken new life in you who were once dead, spiritually speaking, in your trespasses and sins. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us new life that only comes to you through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that awakens us to new life in Christ Jesus. The other word that I wanted you to notice in Titus was the word renewal. Paul says it is the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So get this, the Holy Spirit... He convicts us of our sin. We learned that last week. He convicts us of sin and He convicts us of righteousness, whether that's a lack of our own righteousness or if He compares it to the righteousness of Christ. I told you there's some discrepancy there in the interpretation. But either way, I believe both are true. We're both, we're we're not righteous enough. And Christ is ultimately righteous. And so... The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. He convicts us of righteousness. And He convicts us of the judgment that is to come. The Holy Spirit not only convicts, but He awakens our spirit to life in Christ. And He actually takes the blood of Jesus and He applies it to our lives and washes our sins away when we place our faith and trust In Jesus Christ our Lord, and we repent of our sins. It talks about the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, guys, the reason I chose the time-lapse video is because there is so much going on so fast that sometimes you can't tell what came first. And you know what? This is a complicated issue, is it not, Brother Bart? It's a complicated issue. And so to suffice it to say... There's a lot going on behind the scenes. And the Holy Spirit is doing a lot of things. And He is bringing us to life. And He's convicting us of our sin. And He's giving us faith and the ability to repent in Christ Jesus. But we do know a few things. And let me share this with you. The Holy Spirit initiates our salvation. We do know that. You cannot come to Christ apart from the initiation 
the initiating work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this in John 6, 44, and then also verse 65. Jesus said, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Verse 65. Jesus says, No one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. No one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. So we know that the Holy Spirit, part of His ministry, part of His role is to initiate our salvation. If you are saved today, you can thank God, you can praise the Lord Jesus, and you can also worship the Holy Spirit because He initiated your salvation. He initiates. But not only that, He inspires the Word of God. Peter says in 2 Peter 1 verse 21, Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What is the Bible telling us there? The Holy Spirit was also involved in the inspiration of God's Word. Do you realize that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God? And apart from the Word of God, you could not have faith? And the Holy Spirit was involved in the inspiration of what we treasure as God's Word. The Holy Spirit inspired men to write God's holy, infallible Word. So the Spirit, He initiates our salvation. He inspires the men to write the Word of God. Let me tell you something else the Holy Spirit does. He illuminates or He reveals Matthew chapter 16 and verse 17. You'll remember the story. Jesus is with the, some of the disciples and He says, Who do men say that I am? And some of them say, Well, some say you're Elijah and some say you're John the Baptist. And, but He says, But who do you say that I am? And remember, Peter was the one who spoke up. And Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Guess what Jesus said right after that? Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, Peter, you are blessed. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. You are blessed because you you got it. But you got it because the Father revealed it to you. This doesn't come from you. It comes from the Father. It's revelation. It's illumination from the Father. It's illumination from the Holy Spirit. Matthew 11, verse 27 says, All things have been entrusted to me, Jesus said, by my Father. In other words, Jesus says, the Father's trusted everything to me. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal Him. It's the revealing. You can't come to Christ until God opens your blind eyes and you see the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't come to Christ. Until He removes the blinders and you see your nakedness and you see the righteousness of Christ and you see your need for salvation. That's the Holy Spirit. He illuminates. He reveals truth to you. 
So He initiates our salvation. He inspires the Word of God. He illuminates and He reveals. He also indwells in the hearts of believers. Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God living in you? Last week or two weeks ago, Jesus said that He, the Holy Spirit, will abide with you forever. He will remain with you and He will be in you. So the Holy Spirit, part of His role is He indwells in the hearts of believers. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, we also know that the Holy Spirit seals our salvation. He makes it solid. He makes it something that we can stand upon. When you heard the message of truth, Paul says, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. So the Holy Spirit, He initiates our salvation. He inspires the Word of God. He illuminates and reveals to us this truth. He indwells in the hearts of believers and He seals and He secures you until the day of redemption. What more can I say? He initiates. He inspires. He illuminates. He indwells. He convicts. He calls. He converts. He cleanses. He changes. He regenerates. He reveals. He draws. He saves. He awakens. He quickens. He sanctifies. He seals. And He secures you until the day of redemption. It kind of reminds you of that time-lapse video, doesn't it? There's a lot going on behind the scenes. But the Holy Spirit, He's doing it all. And we can worship Him because the Holy Spirit is God. Amen? Read one more Scripture with me today. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 8. Listen to these comforting words. Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those who are in Christ Jesus. No more condemnation. We were condemned at the beginning. We were children of wrath by nature. But now, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Notice verse 2. Because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. No condemnation if you believe in Christ Jesus. And why and how did that happen? It's the Spirit's law of life that sets you free from the law of sin and death. And so, folks, today we have before us two laws. The Spirit's law of life and the law of sin and death. And the question for you today is, have you been set free by the Spirit's law of life, which can only be found in Christ Jesus. Folks, the greatest miracle that you and I will ever see is the miracle of rebirth. 
when someone is raised from death to life by the Spirit of God working in them to make them a new creation in Christ Jesus. And who does this work? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen? Would you close your eyes, bow your heads? Father, as we contemplate all that the Holy Spirit has done in order to make our salvation an actuality, Father, we give praise to You and we give praise to the Son and we give praise to the Holy Spirit for the all-consuming work of salvation that You provide by Your grace through the sacrifice of Your Son, Jesus, but also by the initiating and working of the Holy Spirit of God. We give You praise. Father, we see two laws at work. The law of sin and death. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Father, they're condemned already. Because they have not believed in the Son of God. But God, there's also the Spirit's law. That by believing in Christ, they can be set free. Father, give us a heart for the lost. Help us to hurt for other people who do not know Christ. Give us the Holy Spirit boldness to be witnesses for You and to be a part of seeing the greatest miracle on earth, to see someone raised from death to life by the Spirit of God working in them. God, give us a heart for the lost again. And then, sir and ma'am, young person, you may be here today. And my hope and prayer is that the gospel has been made so simple for you. And I can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that. But if He revealed to you and He showed you, He illuminated that you need Him today. And you don't know what to do. I want to invite you in just a moment to come forward. Catch one of our staff members. We'd be glad to share with you how you can know the Lord Jesus. Our prayer is that the Spirit's law of life would set you free today. And you would experience all that God wants you to experience. Let's stand, let's sing. Thank mm-hmm. you.